today on Ag News Daily. And you don't understand all the ins and outs of farming until you, you live it. And so I was a teacher before I became a farmer. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is Madison Honkamp here on the Ag News Daily podcast, joined by Mike Pearson. Mike, how are you doing today? I am wonderful, Madison. I am wonderful this afternoon, and I tell you what, it is a beautiful day across much of the Midwest. We're getting a little bit of warmth. We're seeing some uh, some corn that hasn't quite uh, dried down, continue to fill out, and, uh, you know, that's what we need for this crop. Yes, definitely. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Mike. I feels weird. I haven't been on the podcast in a while. <laughs> I know. We've missed you, Madison. Give us an update. What's going on in the world of Madison Honkamp? Well, I'm still here at Iowa State, um, and actually I am on the Little North American Committee through Block and Bridal, which is a, it's a showmanship competition. So it's been really fun. I've been able to go to the beef farms pretty much every night <laughs> this entire year, and I just get to rinse steers and work with them and help people learn how to show basically very cool all right well yeah. i might be asking you for pointers I get to show <laughs> for the uh, governor's charity steer show and i never showed cattle when i was your age so i might have to uh, give you a call yeah you could i am helping the pro division so they think Ooh. i know what i'm doing i don't know if awesome. everything's correct but as far as they know they- i am right Fake it till you make it. <laughs> exactly. Well, Madison, what news do you have that's jumping out in the world of agriculture for you today? Well, one thing I saw today, Mike, I'm not sure if you have talked about it too much on the podcast, but China has, we have seen China buy about six metric tons of U.S. soybeans ahead of these upcoming trade talks, and hopefully we'll we'll see them complete a purchase of about 20 million metric tons of soybeans from the U.S. by the time a new round of trade talks start, hopefully early October. Yes, yeah, those Chinese purchases, watching China come back into this market has definitely been a good thing for soybean growers mm-hmm. and um, hopefully, as we go forward, our pork producers might be able to see some of the advantage as well. Yes, and I know they did say they're hoping this kind – China was hoping this extra 6 million metric tons that is being purchased can kind of be a goodwill gesture, um, so to speak. Absolutely. Get folks uh, calmed down a little bit, make, make people believe that uh, – China's on the team before they go to the, mm-hmm. the table for these discussions. Yes, definitely. But, Mike, what have you seen today? Well, I was going to build a very similar story. This one might be um, – this one is probably less of a goodwill gesture and more of just a demand-based requirement. But China does continue to buy more pork. Uh, we saw China buy 3,300 uh, metric tons – or excuse me – yeah, 33,375 
metric tons of pork from the 13th through the 19th of September. And USDA is expected to confirm more Chinese pork purchases this next week. Uh, Dennis Smith, a commodities broker for uh, Archer Financial Services here in Chicago, said they are definitely inquiring. They continue to struggle with African swine fever and uh, domestic pork prices have climbed record and now that we're seeing the same thing in South Korea, we're seeing it play out across so much of Southeast Asia, they're having to look farther to find their uh, their pork supplies. And um, this is one of those things that uh, we're going to see China step into this market in a much bigger way, according to both the Chinese Commerce Ministry and the folks on our side of the pond who are listening in and hearing these demands from China. So Keep your eyes open to those export sales announcements from USDA. We should see China's name in there as a pork buyer even more going forward. Yes, definitely something we'll be keeping our eye on um, ahead of these upcoming trade talks especially. But another thing we'll be keeping our eye on is Cargill is creating a new business unit focused on animal and human health. Um, And I believe... They're, they currently are creating three to separate units within Cargill. It's, so it's animal nutrition, aqua nutrition, and then health technologies. So it'll be interesting to see how Cargill grows off of this. Yes, it will. And, you know, it's interesting you bring up Cargill because uh, we also had an announcement from Cargill today that they had a 3% increase in their uh, mm-hmm. quarterly profit earlier today. And they're basing this on strong consumer demand for meat and eggs in North America and continued growth in animal nutrition. So I can see that announcement Mm -hmm. and the news story you're talking about, Madison, really fit together. Yes, they really do. And I know one thing that they are really trying to focus on is those specialty health ingredients and building a digestive and immune business for humans and animals. Absolutely. And, you know, they talk about Cargill, I should say, in their quarterly profits, talks about why they why they were able to see those profits rise by three percent. And they said the biggest bright spot was their North American beef business, which shouldn't be a shock. We have seen the uh, the cattle packer make a tremendous profit here over the past several months. But they also said that demand for poultry among consumers in China, Thailand, and the UK also came together to boost uh, profitability for this third quarter. So I thought that was fascinating. We're seeing this demand for poultry rise in China, of course, tied to that African swine fever, probably a similar story in Thailand. But the UK, I haven't heard much about increased poultry consumption, but it must be there. Yeah, that's really interesting because I was thinking that they didn't really want any ag products from us, but I guess that is slowly changing. Well, and Cargill might own you know, UK-based chicken processors oh, over yeah, there, too. That's so maybe they're, they're not buying our poultry, but it's Cargill's poultry. That's true. That's true. That yeah. would make more sense. Do you sense. have any other news? Um, well, you know, who, who knows? <laughs> exactly. Um, well, I do have one last thing, kind of a update with the presidential campaign coming up. Um, obviously, you can never hear too much about the cam- upcoming campaigns. Um, but a, the Montana Democrat um, tester is 
hoping to push a new bill that would expand voluntary training for farm-facing agriculture department employees and promote mental health awareness through billboards, radio, and TV ads in an effort to bring down high rates of mental health issues within rural and agricultural communities. Um, I know mental health has obviously been in the news a lot with all the issues we've had during this planting and growing season, and I thought it was really interesting that he was kind of based, this is one thing he not based his campaign off of, but is what he's hoping to do if he were elected to office. Um, He did say on a conference call on Wednesday that tough conditions in the farm economy are increasingly increasingly taking a mental toll on producers, and he's really working to hopefully take that back. And um, this legislation will roughly cost about $3 million in total, um, and it would also direct the Agriculture agriculture Secretary Sonny Purdue to create a mental health task force with state and local officials. Interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, it it is something I've had the chance to talk to a lot of producers and a few other media folks about mental health in agriculture. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that it keeps coming back to is just the lack of access. It's tough to find a, a, a mental health expert in a lot of rural communities. And then it's tough to find one that you can really get along with if you're looking for a therapist in a lot of rural communities, especially mm-hmm. if you just got, you know, the one choice. So maybe they'll be able to funnel some of that, uh, Oh, those dollars and that enthusiasm into recruiting more folks to work in rural America. Yes, definitely. And it'll be interesting to see if um, if he is not elected, if maybe Congress will kind of take this into consideration and maybe even play it out in their own way. Right, right. Maybe this is just the spark it needs to uh, get something done. Yes, definitely. Well, Madison, I tell you what, I am all out of news. Should we jump in and see how the market's finished for the day? Um, yes, Mike. But first, let's see what Ray Bohax has to say for us on the Hot Rod Farmer Minute. In most parts of the country, the blessings of harvest are not too far away. I am Ray Bohax from the Idle Chatter podcast found on the Global Ag Network, and I would like to share some often forgotten pre-harvest tips. The job of the liquid in the radiator is to cool the engine, while the radiator's task is to remove heat from the liquid. The fact that it does not freeze is required so the block does not crack, and so fluid flow through the engine can be maintained during the winter. The additive package in the coolant becomes consumed from boiling cycles in the cylinder head during high thermal loading, such as pulling tillage equipment or a planter. When this occurs, the coolant will allow cylinder liner cavitation, electrolysis, and other events that will damage the engine. Use a test strip to check the coolant if it was not changed this past winter. Add an SCA if necessary or renew the antifreeze. Sudden death syndrome can occur to a storage battery in any machine. It is the result of the tie or bus bar that connects all of the cells together becoming degraded and then suddenly breaking. When this occurs, all of the cells will check fine with the hydrometer, but the battery will produce zero voltage. It is broken inside. 
A load test will usually indicate the tie bar becoming challenged, but if you do not have that ability, replace any battery that is five years or older with a new one designed for the use. No car batteries and farm tractors. Just because the engine cranks fine right now is no indicator of the internal condition. Also, a battery with more than 14.6 volts after the surface charge is removed with a load tester is internally sulfated and is on its way out. Give everything under the hood a good looking over and go around and snug up key components such as fuel lines, carburetor, hydraulic systems to make sure they did not loosen up from vibration and thermal cycles. Use these late summer days to make sure when it comes time to harvest, all your equipment is ready to roll. Have a blessed and safe harvest season. Well, thank you, Ray. Um, Always check out Ray's podcast on our website. It's Idle Chatter, but also check him out on Farm Machinery Digest. I know he does. Writes lots of articles and kind of how-to things over there. But, Mike, why don't you give us the markets for the day? Absolutely, Madison. Let's see. Today we've got mixed trade in the grains, corn and beans, a little bit of weakness. Wheat much stronger on the day. December corn was down one and three quarter cents at three seventy two and a half, with the March down three quarters of a penny to finish at three eighty four and three quarters. In soybeans, November was off three quarters of a cent at eight eighty eight and a half. January down a half a penny to finish today at nine oh two and three quarters. And in Chicago wheat, the December contract jumped seven cents today, closed. At 484 and a quarter, while the March was up six and a half to finish at 490 and a quarter. Jumping over to the world of livestock, mixed trade in live cattle. The October contract dropped a nickel to finish at 102.95, with the December up 25 cents, closing at 108.75. And in feeder cattle, the October contract up 65 cents on the day at 143.10. November up 32.5 cents, finishing at 141.45. And in the lean hog market, the October contract dropped 35 cents at 64.22.50. The December down a dollar 02.5 finishing the day at 70, 37 and a half. And again, we continue to see volatility in uh, September, or excuse me, in class three milk. The September contract was up two cents at 18.28, while the October dropped 19 to finish the day at 17.90. For our interview today, we're going to be talking to Kylie Epperson from Epperson Farms down in North Central Missouri. Very excited today to have Kylie Epperson of Epperson Farms joining us on the podcast today. Kylie, thanks for taking the time to chat. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Kylie, tell us a little bit about Epperson Farms and some of the stuff that you guys are working on in the industry. Absolutely. Epperson Farms is a grain and livestock operation here in Northeast Missouri. We are row crop farmers. We raise corn and soybeans. And then in addition to that, we have an equally, um, you know, sizable hog operation. So that's a little bit about us. It's kind of an interesting uh, industry to be in and to be diversified, but we like what we do. Yeah. Kylie, tell us a little bit about the history of Epperson Farms. Is it a family operation? It is. Uh, my husband is a fifth-generation far- farmer, and I am like a zero-generation gener- farmer married in, didn't come from a farm, but my in-laws farm with his family, and they have grow crop farm for a long time, 
but the hog side really expanded when my in-laws got married. And so uh, in the late 90s, after raising dirt lot hogs, they built a 1,200 head fair to finish operation. And so that's all the way from baby pigs till they get sold to the market. And then in 2014, Jordan and I um, and my in-laws also expanded our operation and built a 5,600 head farrow to wean sow unit. And so we've definitely kind of picked up the pace as the um, industry has progressed. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Kylie, I want to ask a little bit more about your background then. So where did you grow up and what was your reaction when you learned about all this farming stuff and decided to make the transition to become a farm wife, basically? Isn't that an interesting question? I, uh, Jordan and I are high school sweethearts. And so we've, I've always known that if we were to get married, I would be in the farm industry, but I still didn't know exactly what that entailed until after we got married. I grew up in a rural community about 20 minutes away from where we live now. And um, so that has been an interesting transition. You don't understand all the ins and outs of farming until you, you live it. And so I was a teacher before I became a farmer. And I moved back then when we built the new style unit to do the book work for that entity. Um, yeah, it's, just a, it's, a, it's a great, interesting life that we live. Absolutely. Now, the diversification part is fascinating. You're down there, as you mentioned, in the north central Missouri. How, how many hogs are there in your neck of the woods? We are not very hog dense, but we get more so every year. Um, we are very close to the Iowa border, about 90 minutes away. And as we all know, the Iowa is the hog capital of the United States. And so uh, hogs are slowly pushing into north central, northeast, northwestern, um, that whole territory. But we are lucky enough to not have a lot of hogs around us. So, Kylie, what are you guys looking at as far as retail are you guys still an independent uh, hog farm or do you have contracts that you're working with to fulfill for Smithfield Tyson etc we are an independent owner which is something we're very proud of and we contract our 1200 head operation with uh, JBS over in Illinois and then we have a contract with Lynch livestock in Iowa to sell our weaned pigs and that's a niche kind of a niche market we uh, have turnaround farrowing crate, open pen gestation, and electronic sow feeding in that new farm. So we're kind of filling both areas of the uh, consumer wants for, on the hog side. Very cool. Let's talk a little bit about the row crop side. Are you guys uh, predominantly corn and soybean? Uh, yep, solely. I guess it wouldn't be solely, but yes, we farm only corn and soybeans. Kylie and was- other than the hog, do you guys have any other livestock? No, sir. Nope. We are, uh, the hogs take up a majority of our time. My cat, my husband dabbled in cattle when he was in high school, but since then the hogs have definitely uh, dominated our uh, lifestyle. Yeah. Livestock definitely take up quite a bit of time. They cut into uh, vacation time and family time and all that other stuff. But I think that's just part of the lifestyle. You know, you're accepting when you decide to farm full time. Yep. That's exactly right. So Kylie, I also wanted to ask, you and I were chatting a little bit before the podcast via email last week and earlier on, talking a little bit about your spring lake pork. You mentioned that 
you've had some issues or had some transitions there, but what is Spring Lake Pork and how does that relate to Epperson Farms? Spring Lake Pork, thank you for asking, is our uh, sow unit that we built. It's a separate business owned, built by my in-laws and my husband and I. And it was built in 2014, and it's that niche market barn. It's got the, the you know, turnaround bearing crates, as I mentioned before, and the um, electronic sow feeding. But in 2018, interestingly enough, we uh, had a horrible fire in May of that year, and it um, completely burnt both barns to the ground. And so that is definitely one of those things that you don't, you don't know it's going to happen, and it's just a true tragedy. And so we uh, made a lot of uh, soul searching and we made a decision to rebuild and we uh, changed the structure of our business a bit this go around, but we are back up and operating in that, uh, in that building and that business. And so then how does the, the Spring Lake Pork interact with Epperson Farms? Is it uh, entirely separate with its own contracts? Or are you guys marketing direct to consumer at all? Uh, it is an entirely separate contract. Note, we do not market direct to consumer. Gotcha. So uh, that market, are you still remaining a niche market? And how does that work then? What have you seen, I guess, as far as trends go for that type of a marketplace? Is it one that's growing or is it one that's still pretty new? I, I think it's absolutely growing. In addition to those stipulations for that contract, uh, it is also a raised without antibiotics. I'm not exactly sure they change that term often, you know, antibiotic free or RWA, but that is also one of the stipulations for that contract. And in the industry, the consumer, the millennial consumer especially, is wanting um, a, a feel-good product. And I don't say that lightly because I am a millennial myself, but they're wanting something that they can trace back and they know what's in it and whatnot. And so I definitely think that that market is absolutely growing. Um, in addition to that, uh, California and some of your uh, lower hog producing states are putting in le legislation through their, through their state that is then dictating what the producers across the nation are having to abide by, uh, base per sow, uh, just all of these different things. It's Prop 12, I believe, in California. And so uh, one benefit of that contract is we have rebuilt our barn to um, kind of foresee some of the issues that are going to come down the line when that legislation goes into effect in, I think, 2020. So now you mentioned rebuilding the barn. I mean, there are some big management changes that come with going antibiotic-free and selling into these different markets like California. What have you guys noticed since you made this leap and rebuilt the, the buildings? From a management perspective, what, what are things that get extra focused so you can keep the hogs antibiotic-free? Uh, I'm sorry. Did you ask about the management of the barn? Yeah. Yeah. What, what happened to change when the, uh, you started looking at this uh, niche market? I think everything changes. When you run a barn one way for so many years, so it was about 20 years, we've had a, a stalled barn that we still actually own and operate now. But you have to... Um, you have to really open your mind up to how the pigs even interact with each other. And so in this open pen gestation barn, if you got um, 60, 50 or 60 girls, human women in a area, they would probably have a lot to say to each other and, 
you know, like to talk <laughs> and argue maybe a little bit. And so it's the same in South. We have all of these girls in a pen and it, they, they interact differently than they would if they were in a stalled barn. And so uh, we're blessed to have uh, my father-in-law and my husband and a great team working for us down there that kind of have learned on the go. Kylie, before we uh, let you go today, I also wanted to make sure and ask about the Grateful Farm Wife, which it looks like is your blog and kind of your your advocating platform that you use on social media as well. Tell us a little bit about what that's been like to share your story, stepping into the into the farm life, basically. Yeah, I don't think there's a good one word for uh, an individual who's a farmer. Like I like to identify as a farmer, a farm wife, a farm mom, because we we do all of those things in one. And so the Grateful Farm Wife is my Instagram platform and I'm, I'm trying to get a blog up and going, but it's just telling our unique story. Uh, we have each, each of us in the ag industry has a story to tell. And I think it is so important to share that we are all very normal, loving people who care about the land and the livestock that we raise. And, and if I can reach a consumer or even other farm wives or farm women and, uh, inspire them to uh, be better or just know that they're not alone in the struggles that they deal with every day, then, then that's kind of my goal. So yeah, it's, it's kind of a fun experience. Absolutely. And Kylie, share with us one more time where folks can reach you on social media or Epperson Farms for that matter. Absolutely. You can find our uh, farm Facebook page, Epperson Family Farm. I have Instagram at The Grateful Farm Wife. And if you like to listen to podcasts like you are on this one, we also have the Midwest Farm Wives podcast, which is Whitney and myself just chatting back and forth about all things farm wife. All right. Well, Kylie, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Well, a big thanks to Kylie Epperson there for taking the time to talk to us about their operation. It's interesting stuff, and it's great to see young people approaching diversification on their farm and making it work. Yes, definitely, Mike. But our listeners can also see a wide diversification on our website at globalagnetwork.com. They can check not only find Ag News Daily, but also a multitude of other podcasts, videos, blog posts, articles, many different things. Yes, they can. And if they see something that we don't have, we want to hear from you listeners. You can find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Ag News Daily, and we shall appear. With that, Madison, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.